Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome, everyone! To the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst all the other lads from Cultaholic are talking about things happening in wrestling right now, I'm too scared to say not much is happening. Because whenever I do that, things happen. So I'm not going to say it. Instead, I'm going to climb into the driving seat of this Ica Pro powered DeLorean and go all the way back to 1993 with my co-driver... Who be we, by the way? I be fake Geordie radio presenter type Tom Campbell, fresh from a week hanging out at the house of Mickey Mouse built. With me is the bear in the big blue bar cage, the man who does not need a pencil, does it with a pen because he gets it right every time. He is the head pen occultaholic. There's a wild Justin Henry. Hello, Justin. You know, I have to say, ever since you started saying that, that I don't need a pen because I don't make mistakes, uh, people started proofreading my columns for me, and they found a few mistakes. So, you're well, they're to a boring. High they're boring people. If you have gone through the bear in the big blue bar cages columns for looking for error, then you need a new hobby. Can I suggest stamp collecting? <laughs> well, Mr. Perk was a stamp collector, as evidenced in one of those Coliseum videos. So, and if it's a good enough for Kurt Hennig, it's good enough. Player among many other things. Absolutely, he could. Uh, Bowl 300 game. He, he, he was very highly skilled. How was your week last week, Justin? Because we had an as perfectly planned week off with uh, no no issues whatsoever. We definitely had a week off because we had an episode in the bag because I was going on holiday slash vacation well, and there were no well, problems. Well, 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 see. <laughs> Here's what happened. <laughs> Over the weekend last week, which we've recorded the King of the Ring watch along with our good friend R.D. Reynolds on Thursday night. And I was, I was under... I was going to Disneyland. Which, <laughs> I know you brought it up at the end of one of our shows, but see, <laughs> I thought you were joking because when someone, when someone says, I'm going to Disneyland, it, it has kind of a, a facetious tongue-in-cheek panache to it. <laughs> to be fair, but the I'm... more I've thought about it since this incident, you are absolutely right. <laughs> and also, it's not out of the realms of possibility for me to say something as stupid as, I'm going to Disneyland for a bit and not actually be going to Disneyland. <laughs> Given that you're the most lovable pathological liar this side of Paul Heyman, 
I, I, I want to point out that um, I didn't take that very seriously at all. I'm like, I'm like, oh, Tom's just being silly because <laughs> we're, we're finishing up the show and and he he's in a very goofy mood. I see what I did there, goofy. Ah, so, I see what you did there. So I went ahead last Sunday night and I watched the next episode of Raw because I assumed, and I had told Adam Pacitti this, that we were going to release King of the Ring on Tuesday that week, last week, and the concurrent Raw on Wednesday so we could have the day after show, the day after the pay-per-view. See how that works. And so I watched this episode of Raw last Sunday night, which is seven and a half nights before we're recording. Trying to get, trying to rush and get very this in. Very organized like, of you. Very, very organized <laughs> of you, Justin. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. And so I stagger out of bed at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. That's early. And I'm thinking, well, I've got uh, five and a half hours before I record with Tom. I message you, Tom, are we good for later? He goes, ha, no, I'm, I'm on holiday. <laughs> That's a good one, Tom. And he's, no. Do you know what's funny? Do you know, do you know where I was? When when you said, "Are we good for today?" <laughs> I, I I was I, walking through Disney Village. <laughs> I was hoping you would say being dragged out of Epcot by your heels. <laughs> no, no, I was. We were walking to Disney Village. We'd not long landed, and uh, we were going for several beers. We were going to get drunk with Mickey Mouse, and uh, and then you messaged me, and I was like, "Oh, I think something's something's gone a bit awry here." Yes, because I had even informed Mr. Bacchini that expect two files, one for Tuesday, one for Wednesday. And when, and when I realized that you had screwed me over through your <laughs> assumptions and general disorganization, I realized on the one hand I wanted to strangle you because I had sat through this rather tepid episode of Raw when I didn't have to, when I could have waited. But it actually, you know what? It worked out long term. It really did work out long term because not only did I have time on Monday to finish my writing work, but it meant that I didn't have to watch Raw this past weekend because I had a pretty stacked weekend going to see House of Hardcore on Saturday night and going to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra's touring group on Friday night. Well, there you go. It all worked out beautifully. Yeah. Your idiocy benefited me. <laughs> well, I, I, I joke and I jest and all of this. I would genuinely like to apologize to one Justin Henry for any uh, discomfort, frustration and angst that I have caused you. Uh, the, one of my favorite things from 2018 has been the friendship that we built. And I hope that eventually you can find it in your heart to, to forgive me my trespasses and we can, uh, we can was... begin again. <laughs> I was okay hours later. I was just like... I could tell you were hot. I could tell you were hot. And and I'll keep it at 100. I I very rarely do what I did. Because obviously we were talking and I was like, I I can sense... I even said to my good lady, I said, I think think this is is bad because I've upset Justin. And then I thought I'm also on holiday, and 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 I'll tell you I did this. I actually I actually muted you, so I didn't see any more angry messages coming through. What I should have done once you, once you once you had un, unmuted me, whenever that was, I should have tweeted, "I'm right behind you," and 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 then you would turn and you see and you see Donald Duck there waving at you. You look lovely as Donald Duck. I would, but you see Donald waving at you <laughs> right after I message you, and and I would hope he he would have like a, like a, like a, some sort of smartphone device in his hand, so you would think, 
oh no. And then Donald's following you all through the park. I that want is, you to think that. That is a nightmare. That is a nightmare. But hey, look, I, I, as I said, genuinely apologize for silliness that, that occurred. Um, to, to quote, to quote my 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 uh, my now past nanny Doris, I do hope that we are there are there are now we are now all pals at the palace. And Tom, you are completely forgiven. You could, you were such a jolly soul and such a lovable person that you could sneeze while giving me a vasectomy, and I, and I won't even hold it against you. Oh I mean, I won't. Either of those things, but, I, I <laughs> but it's nice to know. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that sort of shenanigan, nor a vasectomy. We are here to talk about the wrestling Some, version of vasectomy, much worse. which is Monday Night Raw from 1993. Yeah, this is the post-King of the Ring show. It is June 14th, 1993, although this was actually taped prior to King of the Ring six nights earlier, or in this case, seven nights earlier. And you can tell because there's really... Like in, ter- in terms of the commentary, there's obviously some elements of spoilerage for King of the Ring. I'm not sure how much of this was pre-done and how much of it was live, because obviously if it's recorded ahead of time, you can't be saying, oh, King of the Ring was great, this happened. Well, well no, no, no. You see, the, the visual shots of Vince, Randy Savage, and Bobby Heenan talking, they're talking in very ambiguous terms. But the commentary was recorded that Monday, that very day. So they're just inserted over the matches that we're seeing. So, th- so they can talk about the events of the night before, and it is, in fact, factual. That's There's a little bit of heaven and, there. And but... also, as with Monday Night Raw during this period in general, it's it's really like a, a force unto itself. Like it's got stories going on that very rarely reflect anything. And there's a lot of throwaway matches. So you probably, it's a bit like a, like a less refined post takeover NXT. It, it really is. It, 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 it the alpha and the omega of pro wrestling that it would become. It's just a, it, it's just a little station on Monday nights in order to a little vessel to get some matches out there and some, Hype for the upcoming pay-per-views and the other endeavors. It really is just—it is a throwaway in a lot of ways, but it's also a—it's also hype central for what's going on in terms of you know the far-reaching storylines and the future of the company. And we got straight into that, didn't we? The the very first thing we see is highlights from the WWF Championship match at the King of the Ring between Yokozuna and Hulk Hogan. Yes, with the. Uh, with the fireball out of the camera trick, the rarely seen uh, screw job finish in professional wrestling, which I think should make a comeback. I, I think, think Dean Ambrose should be Seth Rollins in the same fashion. I was privy to a fireball at a show recently that I was working at where one of the chaps leashed a fireball, and it felt very mid-90s, and in a good way. Mid-90s? Isn't that more of a uh, chic in the 60s kind of deal? Ah, yeah, I suppose it is, because Sheik was the fireman, wasn't he, really? But it was just funny that I we watched this, this Sheik match. Sheik as the fireman. Featured, he was the fireman. He, he came out with a big... John! John! There you go! We're starting right, you early, John. We, we need Ed the Sheik Farhat in a fireman's outfit carrying an axe, which is somehow even more frightening than him throwing fire at you. If this is the first time listening, 
uh, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. Every so often, you might hear me or Justin just shout, John! John! Now, John Eiley is, uh, is a listener, a friend of the show, who uh, <coughs> will quite happily just Photoshop any of the flights of fancy that myself and Justin Henry go on. Uh, but so often, we are, so often we are so excited by an image conjured up in our brains that we need to prompt it with a, John, just so you know, can you make this one, please? <laughs> but of course, you know, we don't force John to do it. It is totally up to him whether he wants to Photoshop these bizarre images or not. But I should add that if he does do this one, he has to include Sabu pointing at a person on the second floor of the house who is trying to escape the fire. He has to do so doing the Sabu point. And the fire is being started by, oh, let cane. me think, a dragon, cane. a dragon. Put a dragon in it, John. A dragon with a cane mask. Yes, please, John. A dragon Any... with a cane mask. Any vote for Glenn Jacobs' uh, button on his uh, lapel? <laughs> John, mate, I hope you got some good time off over Christmas because you might need it. <laughs> Putting John the work here. <laughs> so, um, so we're underway with um, reflection of last night's King of the Ring on Raw. And yes, we have sir. Mean Gene chatting to Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji moments after that match. Yes, uh, Fuji, uh, Fuji and Yokozuna interviewed by Mean Gene. Fuji says he wants to hold a celebration on July 4th in order to, uh, to commemorate Yokozuna's big victory over Hulk Hogan. Meanwhile, Urkelin accuses Fuji of wanting to desecrate a landmark on July 4th, which I don't think Fuji insinuated that at all yeah that was weird it was just like oh you're gonna you're gonna do something at a, at a famous landmark you monster well we, we didn't say that but yeah yeah let's do it it's it's, it's 1993 the japanese are not the enemy of the american people by this point in time it's i'll, I'll tell you what the fall of the soviet union ruined the foreign heel in wrestling because we no longer had the Ivan Drago sort of prototype to go up against. I mean, being allies of everybody screwed everything up. Because now we have to, like, invent foreign heels. Like, uh, we hate Japan again. Here's Yokozuna. That cat, he's from Japan. <laughs> he, he, must, he must hate America because he's from Japan. Like, it, the, it's actually it's, had the opposite effect in some places. Um, on Saturday night, uh, I worked for a company called North Wrestling in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And we had a match mm-hmm. featuring Boris Kozlov who was, uh, he's from Leeds, just down the road. Um, You're kidding me. But he does the full <laughs> Russian gimmick uh, with accent, vodka drinking. He gets he gets drunk during the match on vodka. He is one of the most popular guys on that show. Well, it's just a twist on the old foreign heel trope, but I get it. It's tongue-in-cheek. Oh, it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. It was only about two or three months ago they had Boris Kozlov against Chris Renfrew, who was from Scotland, and it was a Russia versus Scotland drinking contest in the middle of the ring, <laughs> <laughs> which then bled into a drunk street fight. It was wonderful. Now, did Mean Gene accuse uh, Boris Kozlov of uh, trying to bring down the London Bridge or Big Ben or whatever? Trying to defecate the trying to defecate the Tyne Bridge, probably. Defecate? Did you say defecate? <laughs> oh, I meant desecrate. <laughs> But hey, but I guess to defecate would also thing. be to desecrate. Oh no, he's squatting down on the bridge. <laughs> oh god, if Yokozuna squatted down, oh no, no, John, don't Photoshop that. No, 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 please. It's like I don't care who's into that sort of thing. If you're into that sort of thing, just Photoshop it for yourself. Just, but... And that's one for John's secret file. 
But there is one notable part here at the end other than Fuji laying the groundwork for the big July 4th moment, which will cross that bridge in a few weeks, not London Bridge. At the very end of the promo, Yokozuna says, in plain English, Hulkamania is dead. And sure enough, we will not see Hogan on TV, on WWE TV, for, for almost nine years. I know. I worked that out because later on in the show, Vincent Mann says, I do believe Hulk Hogan will be back. And it's like, mate, not for nearly a decade. Well, he was right. Well, he, I mean, technically he was right in the academics and Hogan did come back. Does that mean in terms of, in terms of WWE story, does that mean Yokozuna was the most effective at killing Hulkamania? Did he come the closest I would, I would to killing Hulkamania? Either him or Brock back in 2002 when he squeezed the life out of Hogan. Yeah, but Hogan was back from that about six months later. Months, six months later. Sure, sure. So I, I guess Yokozuna was the uh, the consummate Hulkamania killer. Or maybe Shawn Michaels. Was... No, because no, Shawn Michaels lost to Hogan, didn't he? I forgot that. Yeah, but he broke his spirit. <laughs> he broke his by flopping spirit. around. He ruined Hulk's love of fishing. He sees the fish flopping on the dock and has flashbacks. <laughs> that was that was incredible. But when so were you watching Raw at this point, Justin? I certainly was. When they talked about their them going to a, a an American monument or American uh, like landmark for for something, what immediately came to mind for you? Well, I mean, I was watching at the time, but I don't really remember uh, that particular speech. I, I, I know soon enough they kept saying the, uh, well, they would say what it was, and I won't say what it is yet. But I mean, it wasn't like the Statue of Liberty or the Gateway Arch or anything like that. It was, I mean, it, it was something notable, but it wasn't like, you know, one of the first things you think of when you think of American landmarks. Certainly, Sizzler. a Sizzler in Des Moines, Iowa. Are they only in? Are they only in Orlando? No, they're in, well. I think Sizzler exists anymore. Quite frankly, no. I think Sizzler's gone. I seem to remember having many happy meals in a Sizzler. Not ha- not literal happy not meals, literal but meals happy that made meals, you happy. But some some <laughs> meals that were happy. <laughs> I got a Whopper at Taco Bell. I have the pool. Oh, so... we're getting a Taco Bell. By the way, <laughs> this is off topic. <laughs> But the the one thing I'm envious of, I do enjoy, and it's and everybody who I speak to from your side of the water laughs at me. I do enjoy a Taco Bell. Oh, Taco and, Bell's good. And yeah, and we're getting one like a mile down the road from where I live. I'm so you happy. As, you sound as happy as Steve Martin and the Jerk. The new phone books are here. <laughs> yeah, I feel that happy because I know I'm just gonna get fat again. I've lost all this weight in 2018. I'm going to put it all back on through Taco Bell next year. It's your happiness. I, it, is, it is my absolute <laughs> happiness. So Taco Bell may Ta- be the landmark that Yokozuna Ta- de- defecates on. Well, you know, Tom, you know who doesn't eat Taco Bell? Raw ring girl, Themis Clarides. She doesn't like, she like she eats anything. No, she's in pretty good shape. She's a fitness model. She's, uh, she's wearing a flannel swimsuit for some reason. A swimsuit with flannel print. I'm thinking maybe she's like really into like grunge music and just had this custom made. It's a very peculiar look, is it not? Almost as peculiar as the sign she was holding up that said "Honk if you're raw," which seems like some sort of chafing awareness. Which is uh, which is bizarre because people can't watch the show while they're driving, can they? They would have had to had in 1993 a small TV that was either battery powered or plugged in with a really long cable whilst driving round in a circle. 
<laughs> in or, order to watch Raw at this point in the car. Or maybe maybe this was the inspiration for CZW Airhorn Guy. It could have been. Do you know what? It could have been. Let's say it was. Themis, it's your fault. Do you realize what you've done? Poor Thanos. You're I right love there? Thanos. Our first match, we, uh... Mr. Perfect versus L.A. Gore. Give us three rings, L.A. Gore. L.A. Gore, the prototype for Diamond Dallas Page. And I remember hearing my name. He has to be related to DDP. He just has to be. He has it's such too... a DDP look about him. He he has that, that bada-bing blood in him somewhere. <laughs> oh, nice. Savage at this point makes sure to put over the Brett Perfect match from the night before, which Vince says WWF is all about that. Vince yeah, I like that. I like that. I like they give that a bit of love. But Vince, of all people, is putting over the technical wrestling masterpiece. In my opinion, the best WWE match of 1993, and it's Vince putting it over. It, it rings up a little bit of irony. Because he was never a fan of the wrestling. Yes, he was. He was more of the horse guy, as evidenced by Hogan versus Yoko. But regardless, uh, Perfect gets the awesome running leapfrog over L.A. Gore, the best leapfrog in the business. Where guy leans down and he just hurdles over him, as though you were a track and field hurdler, one leg out, one leg back, the trail leg. And at this point, Bobby Heenan lays a little bit of groundwork here. He emphasizes that nobody can slam Yokozuna, least of all Hulk Hogan. Nice. I like that. They're they're, they're building to something. Not only that, but we're going to portray somebody as being superior to Hogan should somebody slam Yokozuna, since Hawk couldn't do it. But that's what they need to do now, and I kind of feel like that's what they know they need to do. Like, they now need to build a new Hulk Hogan. They should have had Brett slam Yoko. <laughs> yeah, like, that's going to happen. Where's William the Refrigerator Perry? Get him in. Sadly, he was not one of the participants in the upcoming Yokozuna monument desecration, which is what I guess we're going to call it going forward. <laughs> it's at this point, L.A. Gore ducks the head off the Irish whip, and you know how this ends if you've ever seen a Kurt Hennig match before. Now you're going to see a perfect flex. One, two, three. The match is just backdrop for the Hogan-Yoko chatter. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm never going to duck my head. In a Mr. Perfect match. You can't powerbomb Kidman, and you can't duck the head against Mr. Perfect. You think L.A. Gore would scout of that, being that there's years of Kurt Hennig matches on film, but... Well, it's not I'm, like I'm L.A. Not Gore's doing much between matches. Like, he's got time to watch this. Well, between doing yoga and uh, managing the Bada Bing Club? Or is, was that Sopranos? It might have been Sopranos, I can't remember. If you watch this and you are aware of the whereabouts of L.A. Gore, we have an ongoing bit here on the Cultolic Classic Rule Review where we are asking L.A. Gore to just give us three rings. Like We don't want to do a big interview if he wants to be left alone. We just want to make sure he's okay. If he can ring one of our phones just three times, let us know he's all right. That's all we're asking. L.A. Gore, give us three rings. So far we have discerned he was not at Euro Disney. He's definitely not there. Definitely not there. I checked everywhere. I checked I checked the Tower of Terror several times. Couldn't he was not check. at House of Hardcore on Saturday. He, he, wasn't, was, he uh, definitely wasn't there. I, I didn't see him Christmas shopping on Thursday, so I'm kind of running out of places here. He is I did definitely not, see him not at, at the Into Metro Center in Gateshead, which is the shopping center down the road. He's not there either. So we can, cross those, 
so we can cross those off the list now. In fact, tweet us at JRH Writing, at Tom Campbell, places that LA Gore isn't. If you can confirm where LA Gore isn't, we'll eventually narrow it down. What the hell are you trying to do to my mentions? <laughs> I'm gonna, I just wanted them to explode over Christmas. At JRH Writing or at Tom Campbell, uh, tell us where LA Gore isn't. If you've been out and you've not seen him, just let us know. We'll rule it out. We'll find him. <laughs> He's not under the lawn tarp in my backyard. Leave me alone! <laughs> We're going to find you, Gore. We're going to find you. So Vince interviews Razor Ramon. Razor, at this point, is upping the ante for the one, two, three kid because he wants to get him back in the ring so that he can slaughter him. And he even brings out an Old West burlap sack that just says $10,000 on the side in black stamping. I love that. That's like, how would you even get that from your bank? I think Razor just like robbed an old saloon on the way in. <laughs> He's been playing too much Red Dead Redemption too. Yeah. They told the sheriff when he came to investigate that he just kept calling me Chico behind his bandana. <laughs> he kept saying, I'm stealing this money for Dutch. I'm stealing it for Dutch. It's our last job, Dutch. And, and on the way out, he jumped up and down three times while pointing at his chest with his thumbs. And then he threw a toothpick at the piano player. And then he got lumbago. That's a Red Dead Redemption 2 joke. <laughs> I would do I it mean, earlier. I'd help you out if I didn't have that darn lumbago. That's a Red Dead Redemption <laughs> 2 joke. It's very timely. <laughs> Somebody might get More that. If you got the joke, at JRH writing, at Tom Campbell... Yeah. Why you stop involving me, Jesus Christ? <laughs> just tweet Justin. Just tweet Justin and let him know what you're doing today. <laughs> hey, so Vince Vince decides to poke the bear a little bit here and, and tells Razor, you must hear one, two, three in your dreams. Is Vince trying to get punched? Oh yeah, he was really he was very pushy, wasn't he? But he was nice because he got the crowd to chant one, two, three. Crowd got into it. it I'm convinced that Vince had that beating from Austin coming the first time Austin stunned him. For years, oh, yeah. he would just antagonize the villains. He's forever just get... being, just like you say, poking the bear all the time. This is just pure foreshadowing. And, and Austin was finally the one that just had enough. So, so Razor makes the formal offer. $10,000. You don't have to win the match. you got to step in the ring. And wrestle me like a man. And Razor even says Vince could even get a personality transplant with that kind of money. Oh, hey! -o. I don't know, Vince. I don't know, Vince was kind of carrying the show with his inanity at this point. Vince asks, "Well, what's going to happen if Kid wins the rematch?" Razor assures him it will not happen. I like this. I like the Razor Ramon One Two Three Kid feud. It's it's different. It is just a different way of presenting enhancement talent. And, and, you know, it's been four weeks since they had that match. So they've been building it this entire time. They haven't rushed it. It's been just a little bit of upping the ante along the way. Slow and steady, winning the race. And it is, it's the tortoise and the hare of the storyline, of wrestling storylines. We get a video hyping the King of the Ring replay. With the most coked up Vince McMahon you will ever hear in your entire life. Somebody <laughs> he was out of his tree. Unlike any other. <laughs> I mean, 
it was it was almost like he'd been caught in the hallway. He says, Vince, we need to record this because the show starts in 10 minutes. We need to get this out there. Oh, geez. Oh, okay, hold on. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's my three, two, one, go. I mean, it was it was blood vessel popping. He really, really went for it. Big fan of his work. And then he went and nailed it and walked away. One take Vince. The only thing I got from this other than Vince McMahon sounded like he was about to perish at the end of Scarface was that he called Hulk Hogan's loss a tragedy. Yeah, he was very heavy on that. I think he was still keen to keep um, Hogan ticking over as a potential thing. But um, he he wouldn't be, as we discover. But at the same time, he 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 would practically sing for he's a jolly good fellow for for Hogan while a certain somebody was getting the job done against Yokozuna a few weeks from now. So it was it, it was definitely an odd relationship between Hogan and Vince at this point. Not not uh, Hogan was definitely on the outs, and you could tell from some of the tonality of the show. So then we come to the one good match on this show. And what a good match it was, actually. Marty Jannetty versus Doink the Clown. This was a bit of a revelation. I mean, it's it's sad that Marty Jannetty just kind of is now just back in the in the standard roster. I would like to have seen him and Shawn Michaels doing more. It felt very well, you, cut and dry that he was the IC champ and then he wasn't. Well, you'll actually see Marty face Shawn a few weeks from now on this show. But from now, he's tied up with everyone's favorite clown. And Doink is drinking a soda on the way to the ring. And then he goes under the ring before the match. And then Savage, not, I love Randy Savage, says the following sentence. Possibly 25 clowns under the ring. <laughs> At least. Oh, that was funny. Like, uh, Sa- like Savage is, Savage is, a, is, a, is a different kind of... Different kind of creature as a commentator as as the weeks are going on. You know, I grew annoyed with JBL after a while, 
but I think I would listen to any commentary team that had Savage and JBL on opposite sides of the poor play-by-play guy. Oh my days. All oh, the madness we fought on Friday night, Muggle. Oh, no. <laughs> it would by the end of by the end of about a month, you'd just be ooh yeah, ooh yeah. just be this like white noise around the wrestling. <laughs> Throwing Taz also. <laughs> hey, no, hey, nothing, nothing but Savage. There's twenty-five clowns under the ring. Hey, Joey, Joey Numbers, Joey Numbers is on the ring earlier, and he said there's all the clowns. My boy Joey Numbers! There was a point where Taz was good. There was. There was. I still love Taz, though. But I think by the end of that, Michael Cole would have the same demeanor as like a plane crash survivor. Michael Cole would just be doing that fake laugh, but you would hear the tears falling down his face at the same time. <laughs> I think he'd just be shell-shocked by that point. He's pretty shell-shocked these days. <laughs> He's pretty shot to, pretty shot to pieces. It's noticeable, too. He's the boy that wanted it all, and he got it all, and now he don't want it. <laughs> he wanted to be main commentator. You got it. It's all yours. Now have a, a lifetime being shouted at by Vince. Well, at least he was spared the fate of the commentators here, because Doink emerges from under the ring, now wearing his jacket, which he did not have when he went under the ring. Oh yeah, that was that was funny how how just paranoid the commentators sound. He wasn't he wasn't wearing a jacket when he arrived. Love it. And then he went over, and then he went over the announcers and sprayed him with his flower because he's Doink and he, and and Doink is a very silly person. Vince is appalled by this. He got sprayed with a a novelty flower. Did he not spray him with the Coke can? I thought it was the flower. I thought it was the Coke can. I don't know. I haven't seen it in eight days. You tell me. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I was. I was. I don't remember. See, I only saw it yesterday, and I can't remember. <laughs> That's even worse. I'm gonna. Um, I took notes, and I don't remember. <laughs> if you guide us through this uh, match, I will hop on to the WWE Network, and I will confirm well, first, whether it was a flower well, or a can. Well, before you do that, I have to tell you that at this point in my notes, I wrote. I know this was this was taped from the week before because the canvas is still stained. Oh. Bleh. Oh God! It's more fun to imagine these are two different shows, and they just brought the same canvas with them. Oh God! <laughs> just scrub that down. Scrub what down? Right. If you want to know what we're talking about, listen to uh, episode nineteen. Was it nineteen or twenty? I, I have no damn clue. The one it just, before it's the, June... the King of the Ring. Yes, it's the June 7th roll. Just know that. Listen to that one and, and you'll see. And you'll be horrified. So it's Nettie versus Doink. Marty gets his awkward second rope face buster for a count of two. Savage one point calls... Goes into the Bret Hart-Jerry Lawler angle from the night before. And he calls Jerry Lawler, and I'm quoting here, The Stone called Jerry Lawler, a.k.a. King. <laughs> and the, and. and and I wrote here in my notes, how would you diagram that sentence? <laughs> Run it through again. The so-called Jerry Lawler, a.k.a. King. That is, okay, let's see if we can break this down. He's so as if, Jerry Jerry. as if Jerry Lawler is like a tax evader or a fraudster of some sort, and Jerry Lawler's not his real name, but King is like his criminal name. 
the so-called Jerry Lawler, a.k.a. King. I mean, all of those could be possible. <laughs> I like my explanation the best, I think. It is like the undoing of the Gordian's knot of explanations. It's the simplest one. And yet it really isn't at the same time. But anyway, so, but I mean, I mean, thankfully, Savage's confusing commentary didn't take away from the fact that this probably was, as you say, the match of the night. Well, almost by default. We have this weirdo in the crowd with no shirt and a creepy Hogan mask. Yeah, but Bobby Heenan called him out, and Bobby Heenan was wonderful. Yeah, Heenan couldn't get off that subject. And it's at that point that Vince went, I believe the Hawkster will be back. It was that point. And that was, and he was saying, "Well, he is back. He's there. He's just that's how he looks now. He's been flattened by Yokozuna. He's he's even more aerodynamic now. He he he's gained more uh, finesse from losing all that muscle mass. That I like how they referenced did. that. So we get, speaking of creepy, Marty Jannetty comes out of a out of a power slam at one point, and there's all this white stuff all over his chest, and I realize. Dwayne's face rubbed on his torso during the slam, and it looks like Marty had had like cake spilled on him, or was the victim of of a certain uh, genre of film. Let's just say Val Venus may have hit his finishing move on him at one point. That's what it possibly appears to look like. <laughs> it was like I'm, I'm taking notes while watching. Them, I'm like, wait, what the hell's that? And then I realized, oh, Dwayne's all smeary. Horrible. So Dwayne gets this unusual submission hold. It's a leg hook out of a half Nelson. Trying to make Marty submit. Dwayne is a... Matt Bourne was the consummate Matt wrestler. He really was. And it's at this point that Vince says... Vince wants to know what kind of person could pull such pranks on people. And I'm thinking like the ones that you pull on Howard Finkel, like having his car smashed outside. Oh yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine for other. It's fine for other people to. It's not fine for other people to pull pranks. Well, there's there's kayfabe and there's reality, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then they compared Doink to Jurassic Park and Barney, and I'm thinking, he's a clown. He's not a dinosaur. This <laughs> is like, 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 what were they on when they recorded this? I think this is like. You bear in mind they're recording like. Multiple shows in a row. They're all just a bit tired. I think they're just, yeah. <laughs> they're just sort of semi-autopilot by this point. Yeah, they're, they're kind of punchy at this point in time. It's the day after a pay-per-view. They're understandably exhausted. So Dwayne pulls out the whoopee cushion, which may have been the first time he ever did it. Gets a delayed cover, only gets two out of it. Marty turns the tide, and then I notice something here. Vince was pissed off at Janetti for not hooking the leg. Like several times earlier in the match, Marty would go for the pen, like, and Vince was aghast that Marty would forget wrestling 101 and not hook the leg. Yeah, like I, was, I wasn't sure why he was so upset with that. I saw that a couple of times where he was like, he's not hooking the tights. Uh, I mean, the leg. Yeah. It's like a gorilla monster would always get pissed off when somebody couldn't uh, apply the abdominal stretch correctly. Well, that was his that was his move, wasn't it? I get why he was annoyed by that. <laughs> so we get a brawl outside the ring. It ends up being a double count out. Marty gets this beautiful super kick, 
and a hurricane runner right out on the floor. Oh, weren't that? What a beautiful combination they were. Really, really perfectly placed super kick. And then that lovely, slightly slow hurricane runner looked great. It was it was tremendous. And Doink, as, we, as we've seen on the show so far, against Mr. Perfect, against Marty Jannetty, and as we'll see in a few other matches forthcoming, Matt Bourne could go. He was, a, he was a very, very skilled wrestler. It's easy to think that the Doink the Clown was just a weird old gimmick, but in fact, it was underneath that makeup was one heck of a wrestler. Absolutely. And if, if anything, Doink just put more eyeballs on him. It makes me and, think and, and, I'd love to see Doink in another lifetime, like, get a, have a run with the WWF champion. Like, like, who would you... If you had to pick someone today that was a skilled wrestler and had charisma and could pull off all the like, nuances that's currently on, on WWE's roster, who would you go with? Okay, somebody who could pull off a gimmick like Doinks and still be, like, a competitive... I... I mean, my mind turns to someone like Adolf Ziggler, who you can I'll, put anywhere and is brilliant. I'll do you one better than that. Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn's a good shout. Sami Zayn just goes with whatever he's given. I miss him and Kevin yeah. Owens on TV. I really yeah. do. Sam, they're, they're a big miss. Sami has, has that manic energy, especially as a villain, in my opinion, to pull off the same nuances that Matt Bourne pulled off. And I think he, he, could do, he could probably do the high-pitched cackle that Matt Bourne did as well. I was the biggest so, fan of, of, of Sami Zayn, particularly when he was in NXT. And there's one match I remember watching, and it was Sami Zayn versus Neville for the NXT mm -hmm. title. And there was a point in the match, and, and this was like Sami Zayn's like third, maybe fourth like sh like run at the belt. And there was a point in the match where they'd wrestled, they'd wrestled suddenly... Neville found himself in the corner in the exact position for the halluva kick. And Sami Zayn rolled into the, or rolled onto the other side. And Sami Zayn does this. The, they zoom in on his face. And he does this thing where he runs his hand down his face as if to kind of psych himself up. Because he's, now he's like, here we go. This is it. This is the moment. And it was just yep. amazing facial storytelling. The next time I saw him do something like that was in the match with Kevin Owens at Battleground where he ran up and gave him the halluva kick. And Kevin Owens collapsed into him. It's just amazing how much you appreciate nuance in somebody when it when it's actually done to perfection. Like like recently with the passing of of Dynamite Kid, I was watching a few of his old matches with Brett and with Tiger Mask, and just the way he did every little thing, like right down to the most minute detail, how he would snap on the suplex or how he would drop a knee or how he would emote to the referee. It's, just, it's it's also if it, it was like clockwork for him, it was second nature, and you appreciate even more watching it was especially compared to like other workers who were considered great, but clearly were not on Dynamite's level. You realize you're watching someone who's just a cut above everybody else. And I'm not saying that Matt Bourne necessarily was a cut above everybody else, but when you watch him, you notice just the little things he does to get the character over, and it just. You see the work he puts into it, and you appreciate it. Brian Pillman was very much like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm 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 on a bit of a Brian Pillman kick because I'm 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 rereading my mate's book, um, Loose Cannon, uh, the sorry, mm -hmm. Crazy Like a Fox, the Brian Pillman story. Uh, right. Do read it. It's by a wonderful gentleman called Liam O'Rourke, um, and 
before he became a best-selling wrestling author, we used to get very drunk together in pubs in Telford. Um, and, <laughs> and and now he's now he's he's a literary genius. Then uh, the, the book is if you're looking for something for Christmas for people, uh, the Brian Pillman book, Crazy Like a Fox, it's very good. But there's a guy who just had this something about him, like a Matt Bourne, just this this energy and this this creativity that you know had Brian Pillman not been so damaged um, after his car wreck. Gosh. The potential of what could have been. It's unreal. It's unreal. And same with Doink the Clown. Genuinely think in a different lifetime, there's a guy that you could have put up against the world champion. It's a spark of madness that not every wrestler, even the most skilled technician in the world has. Very few people have that. And when you see it, you know it. And he had it. And like you say, Tom Billington had that thing as well. Incidentally, mm-hmm. if you uh, on the subject of books... Uh, I read um, a few years ago now, I read Pure Dynamite, which is Tom Billington's book. Mm-hmm. And what what a guy. Like, what an interesting cross-section between this unreal wrestler with such skill and just this guy who was so... who, who had so many issues. And there's a mm-hmm. whole... There's a whole bit in the chapter. And it's... And it's... And it, it's a little bit sort of bone-chilling to read it now. And it's this whole bit, and he talks about this young man coming to his hotel door the one night, asking about where he can get steroids from. And and he kind of says, almost with pride in his book, uh, that young boy, his name was Chris Benoit. And it's like, mm-hmm. and at the time when the book was written, it was almost like a bit like, wow. So Benoit did, oh wow, that's crazy times. And now it's, <laughs> oh god, yeah. don't boast about that. <laughs> The passage of time has unturned, has unturned many stones. Oh, oh, absolutely, and, and, and that book is chilling reading for that reason. Yeah, it's just, it's a great book. It's also a very truthful book. Someone, someone who has nothing to hide and happily turns his hand over to show you what's on them. Oh, he is completely, he is, he is completely alarmingly open throughout it. But anyway, we are getting very off track. Um, mm-hmm. Doink and Marty Gennetti. Uh, if you watch one match from this show, it's that one. That is the the yeah. match of the show. I have to note that after the double count out, Vin, who's pissed off that that Doink uh, didn't lose the match, was openly rooting against Doink the entire time. Not not as Vince encouraged Marty to keep beating him up, but Vince also swears that if there were five more minutes, Marty would have won. And I'm thinking, it wasn't a time limit draw; it was a count out. If there'd been five more minutes outside the ring, if the ring count was five minutes, he would have won. <laughs> yes, Doink would have had his head back against the rail, would have been unable to continue, and we all would have been happy. <laughs> he would have been bludgeoned to death, and the kids would have loved it. Great match, though. Great match. Very, very good. Vince promotes one of the most unusual matches I think I've heard in this time frame for Mania on Saturday morning, which is Tito Santana and Bob Backlund taking on the Head Shrinkers. What a weird combination. It's just like it's almost like a cross section of years coming together, like you're playing as Hulk Hogan on one of the two K games and you're wrestling Drew McIntyre. It just feels like <laughs> Somebody has been playing the season mode and they just keep hitting they just keep hitting skip or automate. <laughs> it's like you're putting incompatible species in different terrariums together. I'm going to go ahead and assume that the Head Shrinkers won. 
I do not know actually, but I can look it up real fast. Because uh, otherwise, I can't. Because I, I don't recall the the heady years of the Backland Santana tag team. No, I'm, I'm sure they teamed in the early '80s either. I think Santana was more of a partner of Ivan Putsky in that time frame. Polish power. Polish power and Tito Santana. So, yep, 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 yep. So the match was taped in May at some point, possibly June. Who the hell knows? So whilst you look that up, um, next we have match. Hart versus Dan DeBeal. Oh yes, it's good to see Dan DeBeal back uh, after basically dying at the hands of Yokozuna some time ago. No, no. Well, no, no, that's still to come. I that hasn't happened yet. I assumed it already had. I was relieved. No, 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 no. His fate is still coming. Oh, uh, Dan, mate. Actually, I found a result. Uh, Santana and Backlund won via reverse decision. Oh. Fatu says Fatu pinned Santana after he sidekick to the face after the Hedringer switched places in the ring. But Rick and... Yes. The illegal man got the pin and it was overruled because Rick and Scott Snyder came out and told the referee that... Well, uh, told the referee about what happened. And the decision was reversed, that the wrong man scored the pin and ended in a DQ. Snitches get stitches, mate. Not the Steiner brothers. Oh, actually, you know what? I ain't stitching the Steiners. <laughs> exactly. So, Owen Hart versus Dan Beal. You made reference to a match in which Dan Beal was mangled. But we won't, we won't see that match for about oh, six or seven months. In the meantime, Owen Hart is wearing this wonderful teal jacket. And uh, this is this is before Owen became this is before before he became Owen Hart. This is this is pre King of Hearts, post High Energy. Yes, Owen's kind of in limbo here at this point. He's merely Bret Hart's brother who is very athletic and not much else. Meanwhile, Dan Dubiel looks like he failed the tryouts for the Spirit Squad. Oh, Dan, mate. I feel sad for Dan because I thought this was like after his crushing by Yoko. And now I realize it hasn't happened yet. And he doesn't know at this point that Yoko's going to kill him. It's like Quantum Leap. You can go tell him what's going to happen in the future and, and, try, and try and change the course of history. Ziggy says there's a 95% chance that Yoko's going to crush your, your track here. <laughs> And this match is merely a backdrop because Vince is trying to get a hold of this one, two, three kid who is in Tokyo. Feels weird that Vince would acknowledge that somebody's wrestling somewhere else, but maybe he just assumes that kid is like sightseeing or something. Yeah, does he say he's wrestling in Tokyo or does he just say that he's in Tokyo? Just said that he's in Tokyo, I think. I mean, like. Dude, I, I could be wrong, but I think he's. He can't need the money that badly if he's, if he's good to travel to Tokyo. <laughs> maybe he's working as a courier and he's. He's trying to get a Millhouse, Nelson, and Martin home. <laughs> I mean, yeah, actually, that's true. He could be there for, like, casual work purposes. He could be, like, airline ground staff. Yeah, he's a... I mean, he, he does need the money if he's transporting, like, like human eyes or whatever. Whatever was the Bart head. <laughs> that's a nice... We don't make enough Simpsons references. We can't call ourselves a wrestling podcast if we don't yes, make we need... Simpsons references. If there's one thing the show could always use more of, it is Simpsons references. I mean, because we don't have enough in common with OSW Review as it is. So I do think we should make Simpsons references as well. Yes. Um, well, yes, we could always throw more in there. And uh, love you, OSW. Oh, I love OSW to death. 
I think it's hilarious how that we kind of seem to be covering the same timeline at the same time. Well, it's uh, you not know, wrong being parallel, is there? It's it's two different points of view. Just as long as we stay away from saying hello, knockers. Happy days are here again, because that is theirs and not ours to have. Exactly. We'll stay on our side of the line. They stay on theirs. <laughs> yes. Love you guys. Anyway. Love you. Anyway, kid calls in, or they, they, or they patch kid through, and gosh darn it, he doesn't just sound so polite. Like, does he sound like the loveliest boy? Like a boy, like you, like if you had daughters, you would want this to be the man that comes home to to maybe take one of them to the pictures to go see a film. Sean Waltman, the future six, the future X Pac, whose character at many times just exuded confident sleaze. I mean, by design, obviously. At this point in time, he, he's the most white meatest of baby faces you've ever heard in your entire life. He's a milk and cookies good guy to his very core. And, and you can't reconcile that this would be the one guy who would join DX five years later and say, we're going to rip ass on the World Wrestling Federation. It's a different human being, isn't it? It almost it almost has to be. I can't reconcile that they are the same guy. So Owen's just textbook wrestling Dan Dubiel here while Vince talks to the one two three kid. Kid's putting your Yokozuna's in his title victory. Talk, talking about how it's on the front page of all the newspapers here in Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Kid asks if Razor's offering cash. That's someone with wrestling experience right there. Is it in cash? I Can love it. Cash? That was amazing. Is it in cash? One, two, three, kid may have only been wrestling for four years at this point, but he is a hardened veteran who knows how the business works. He knows. He knows. He can. He can just sneak that into a cupboard in his house. <laughs> that, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that was that was a nice touch that actually made made this call an even better. I would. Li- I, I think so, it would have been even funnier if suddenly Erwin Arshaiser just appeared on the other line, going, "Wait a minute! Make sure you declare that." <laughs> well, you got to stay in character, right? Exactly. But by the way, speaking of which, I, you bring IRS into this, I should note at this point that while this show is taking place, Money Incorporated was losing the tag team titles to the Steiner brothers at the TV tapings in Ohio. At this very time? As, as, as this show was airing in the United States, that title change was taking place. Well, in I Columbus, Ohio, in fact. That's very exciting. Since Scott pinned DiBiase with a top rope move as DiBiase attempted to pile drive Rick. And then, funny thing, um, let me pull it up here. Uh, it was um, a few nights later, in fact, I think it was two nights later, Rockford, Illinois, Money Incorporated got the belts back on June 16th. Iris used the briefcase as a weapon in order to score the pin. And then three nights after that, in St. Louis, the Steiners got the belts back again when Scott pinned DiBiase with the Frankensteiner. A lot of two and a throw with the titles then. Probably trying to draw up some house show business. Like, oh, we saw a title change. If we go next time, you will see another title change. I, I, just, I, lo- I They do that every so often, and I'm a big fan of it when they do. When they go, house shows are important. Remember, this is the thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So technically, I have never seen the Steinbrothers win a tag belt in WWE. And neither of you. Only a small number of people have. Do you remember when Edge won the Intercontinental Championship at a house show before SummerSlam? Was it SummerSlam or fully loaded? It was fully loaded because it was July. That was it. 
And, it's, mm. I remember, and, and this is years before the internet was a thing. I remember watching Fully Loaded live on Sky Sports 1 and mm. and Edge walking out with the belt. And I, well, I didn't see the belt. I heard JR say, Edge is our new Intercontinental Champion. And it was like, what? What? It was amazing. I remember just being like dumbfounded. Like, can you do that? Is that, is that allowed? <laughs> like, apparently yeah, it well, is. Well, once in a while they throw that in, like when... uh. Last year, when Styles beat Kevin Owens for the U.S. title at Madison Square Garden, it's great. I like it when they do that. Every now and then, you got to throw one in. Although you have the assholes online who say, "Like, oh, why don't you televise it so we can have it for our collections?" It's like it's not about you. Shut up. Well, didn't Joe anyway, win the NXT title at a house show? I think he did when he beat uh, Balor, right? Yeah, Balor and yeah, NXT, Balor and Joe were just having like a standard NXT title match, and Joe won. It just it happens. Once in a while, that will happen. I like it. So anyway, kid accepts the challenge. Vince Vince literally goes, "Yay, yay!" Oh God, Vince saying "yay" was the douchiest thing I've ever heard. He he did his bushwhacker Luke impression at that point. Vince saying "yay, yay." (laughs) So as for the match, which has been all but ignored by the commentators because of this phone call. Owen gets a spinning heel kick, a missile drop kick, and a beautiful Alicia Fox-like Northern Lights suplex for the finish. Vince does mark for the bridge, though, because Owen put on a great bridge. And it's at this point that uh, it's plugged for All-American this weekend that Owen Hart's going to face Bastion Booger. Now, this was weird. Right. Whoever made the graphic for All-American Wrestling, right, needs to be sacked or shot, (laughs) whichever's worse. Because the graphic they used featured, so it had it had the lo- all American Wrestling logo. It was poorly written, like scribbled at the top, saying like noon at this time on this channel, da da da. And then it had a picture of Bobby Heenan on the left and Mean Gene on the right. And in the middle, it said, as you said, Owen Hart versus Bastion Booger. Now, if I wasn't a wrestling fan and I saw that sign. <laughs> I'd assume Bobby Heenan was Owen Hart and Mean Gene was Bastion Booker. And you would have been right. And I would have... Do you know what? History tells me I would have been right. But I thought this was appalling. Appalling graphics there. For those of you who are wondering, Booker did win that match in four minutes and six seconds. Owen missed a missile dropkick. Booker pinned him with a splash. Gotta keep Booker strong. Gotta keep Booker strong. And, and a little note for you Stampede fans out there. You probably would notice that that was a feud back in the late days of Stampede. Owen Hart versus Mocking Singh. Owen and Booker had faced off numerous times before. Oh, really? I did not know that. Indeed, Owen Booker was a, a monster heel in the Stampede territory. And Owen was like the one of the, one of the last hopes of a dying promotion. Well, blow me down. I did not know that. I want to watch this. Savage, Savage gets a great line about Owen here. He says... Ever since his knee injury, he's been zooming to the moon. And I'm thinking, he's Alice Cramden? <laughs> One day, right to the moon! I'm guessing Brett, I'm guessing Brett would be Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure who is Norton in this equation. Hey, hey Brettie boy! That's a very good impression, mind. Well, it's very easy to do art, Carney! You're just doing Yogi Bear! <laughs> but any, anyhow... <laughs> I don't know how to transition out of Art Carney into The Undertaker, but here we go. We get we get a rare Superstars match here, shown in full. 
because we have to highlight how Undertaker was attacked last weekend, or say over the weekend. It's Undertaker versus PJ Walker, the future Just Incredible. It looks like and, he uh, borrowed like Marty Jannetty's tights for this match. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely a very early '90s tag team wrestler look on Mr. Walker here. It's a funny bit here because Vince says Walker's shaking in his boots. And while he says that, Walker's standing there clapping and acknowledging the crowd. This is why you look at the monitor when you're talking. That was, yeah, that was um, interesting. There's a kid in the front row where there's a kid in the front where wearing his Undertaker hat. It's like a Fidel Castro-style hat. A lot of people were dressing as the Undertaker at this point. But I've never seen this hat before. It's like a pillbox hat with an Undertaker logo on it. I remember this, but anyway, Walker gets easily squashed, but this, but that's merely a, uh, a setup for Giant Gonzalez to arrive. This he is the first time. And... Am I? Um, just before we get to the Gonzalez thing, um, I like how they give props to Just Incredible for walking two steps forward, because <laughs> that is all the offense he really gets in this match. Yeah. Walking two steps forward, and yes, also, is this one of the first times? That we see a choke slam as a finisher. I think we may have seen it on one of those earlier rolls when Gonzalez had a squash. I think it was the uh, the snow show back in March when he had the skeleton crew. Yeah, and Rob I, think, Vince. I think you're right. I think we might have seen it then. It's just it's, it's still very rare. It seems very rare early '90s to see a choke slam being broken out. And it is. It is. And Gonzalez was one of the few moves he could actually do. Gonzalez comes out, he has this alleged brawl with Undertaker, and I do emphasize alleged. It, in, in the academic sense, they are having a, a, a slugfest. That's when Mr. Hughes arrives, and he, he, he actually drops Paul Bearer with a urinagi. I know, right? And really drops him, like just like a bowling ball, just hits the ground. Well, even with how strong Mr. Hughes is, and, and, and he, he's no doubt a swole individual, Paul Bear is pretty hard to get off the ground. I, I can't imagine he could jump very high to, help, to assist with the move. I think he got about as much height as he could possibly get. Yeah, I mean, it looked good enough. It looked good enough. Oh, yeah. And I don't think we saw, we very rarely saw Paul Heyman, not Paul Heyman, Paul Bearer. We very rarely saw Paul Bearer get hurt during the yeah, early so run was... of, the, of The Undertaker. I remember Jake DDT'd him that one time, but yeah, it was pretty rare. And I think this is, and I'm, and also, yeah. So we had Jake DDT him, but in terms of dominance over the Undertaker, obviously we've had Gonzalez who's who's beaten the Undertaker down, but now we've had Mister Hughes who's come out, beat up the Undertaker, beat up Paul Bearer, and taken the urn. Yeah, I mean, he takes the urn, he smashes Taker with it. It occurs to me at this point because I'm 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 a huge huge ECW geek that Mister Hughes and PJ Walker would both be managed by Jason Jason Knight in ECW. And I'm like, oh, that fact entertains me. That's a nice call. Is Jason and I, does Jason and I work as uh, enhancement during this period yeah. as well? Yes, he did. Hughes beat him on one of the roles we reviewed. Wow. There's a nice callback. And then six months later was managing him in ECW. Everything is clinical in wrestling. That's what yeah, I kind of enjoy is. watching nowadays, watching so carefully the any spots that involve a local guy or like the police. Cause they're going to be lads that we're probably going to see down the road anyway. Or the Rosebuds or the, uh, 
No Way Jose conga line. In fact, true story, when they had, and he won't mind me saying this because it was he, he shared it online himself, when they had Monday Night Raw from Manchester recently, and mm-hmm. Braun Strowman was, was, was being stopped by some security guys. They were all British wrestlers, one of which, let's reference him again, was Boris Kozlov. Was he holding vodka at the time? Sadly, he was he was dressed as not a, a Russian via from Leeds, but oh. but it was definitely him. Uh, you can't stay in character all the time, I suppose. I know, I know, but I do get such a kick now out of watching the shows like that and going, "Oh, that's my mate!" I get I such a kick. Things... It's lovely. <laughs> I did get two things out of the end of this. One is. As Tigger is laid out with Paul Bear, Savage yells, Sit up! Clear the ring! Do the thing! <laughs> because advice is always more effective when it rhymes. That's and the how Dr. Co- Seuss made such a wonderful career. <laughs> yes, as, a, as an actual doctor. He, he didn't have to prescribe anything. He just rhymed you and, and hope your tuberculosis would go away. <laughs> and the other was uh, the crowd actually applauding when Hughes hit Paul Bear with the urn. Yeah, there was a bit of a cheer for that, wasn't there? Yeah, that was in Nova Scotia. Are people from Nova Scotia like uh, sadistic? Are they evil people? I know. I was heard like. I I don't know. I just I think that wrestling fans in general are a little bit more dickish in the nineties than I remember them to be. Yeah, they've been dickish in every era, haven't they? Have they not? <laughs> they probably have, but I think obviously when I was watching wrestling, it, sort of like this around this era, yeah. I didn't. I didn't pick up any of that. It's only watching it back that I go, oh, wow, well, people really didn't like Hulk Hogan at this point. <laughs> you, you tend to notice more the more that you appreciate nuance and things. Yeah. And, sp- and speaking of nuance, we come to our alleged main event, Jerry the King Lawler versus Mark Thomas. And there were a lot of Burger King cra- crowns in this crowd. Now, I assume that somebody had been to Burger King and bought, like, a job lot over from there oh. or something because this was brilliant oh you don't have to buy them you can just go in and put one on it's yours that they're out on display but you would have but it just seems like a i doubt everybody went over and each got one somebody must have gone over and said can we have like mm. 20 of these to put on the television absolutely it's probably just that simple i mean there, there's cheap little cardboard things that they put the uh, tab through the little flap and then put on the shelf for kids to grab or adults that they want to grab them to grab it's up to them so there's so as you said there's, there's about 20 of them in the crowd it's at least more than a dozen people wearing these things and Lawler's wearing this hot pink singlet not hot in the sense of he looks he looks sexy but just <laughs> the color hot pink sure thing Justin and Vince is dis- <laughs> fair enough uh, I'm on Vince to is you dis- <laughs> Vince is disgusted that Lawler wore pink to mock Brett. I'm thinking, Lawler had pink on last week before he jumped Brett. But I guess Vince doesn't watch his own show. Clearly so, not. Anyway, we get this bizarre angle where Bobby Heenan walks out on the show under protest for the Burger King champ. Yeah, I didn't get this. Did he need the loo or something? Well, no, there's a story here because he comes back with a scoop. Right. If so you... I wasn't sure whether so... it was just a coincidence that yeah. So he needed an excuse to leave the table for at least for a couple minutes. 
So Lawler's stalling during a Burger King chant. He's going full Larry Zabisco here. And while this is going on, Heenan comes back, quote unquote. But 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 Savage Savage says that Heenan just came back, but he's not visible at ringside. Like, oh. like I said, Savage is trying to get the storyline over. Like Heenan's come, he's come back to the booth, but he never reemerges from the locker room. Yeah, that's a good point. We don't see him get back in. So obviously, this is something that's been recorded. Yes, and I'm wondering which editor got hit in the head with a cinder block the following day for screwing <laughs> this up. I wonder if Matthew knows about this. Maybe we can get a little bit of credit for making him a privy. He'll throw this into the next botch of mania. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Matthew, if you're listening, there's a little thing here. If you want it, it's yours. It's all yours, man. Oh, thank you very much. There he is. He said thank you very much. You're very welcome, Matthew. <laughs> So Heenan actually reiterates the same thing that Bobby Heenan, or that Fuji said at the start of the show, but then he, he he adds more details to it. It's going to be a body slam challenge in order to humiliate America. It's going to challenge any American athlete, wrestler or otherwise, to try and body slam Yokozuna at a, I believe at this point, currently indetermined landmark of some sort on July 4th. Just to show that no man is strong enough to hoist Yokozuna up for a body slam. I love it. And I like how big they make it because by saying any American athlete come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. I thought it was I love I love the audacity of it. It's brilliant. There is something kind of snidely whiplash about the whole thing. It it, it is simply brilliant. I'm never sure about the about the way that these stories progress in this era and and, and and it comes through with the one two three kid thing, and with this story as well. I don't know whether it needs its own segment rather than it just kind of being during a wrestling match. That oh, Bobby Heenan's just found this out. Whether it needs Yoko and Fuji to come out onto the in, into the arena and announce it, but then I guess it's only an hour show, and they you know they they're pushed for time. You know you, we've got to get we've got to get that Mark Thomas match in. Otherwise, what will we do? Well, it's just a throwaway show anyway. It's, it's pre-recorded. It's the night after a pay-per-view. They're just three, three of the matches have have been backdrops for enhancing storylines that aren't even related to the matches. It's just Marty versus Doink and three squashes that are are just scenery, more or less. That's true, and I guess they can't really put storyline stuff like that in there because then it gives away shows that haven't exactly. happened yet. Exactly. This, this is the epitome of a throwaway show, but they're making the most out of it by setting up the future otherwise. So Thomas actually gets a backdrop at one point, but he falls back into the pile driver and Lawler adds a fish drop anyway. It was a boring match, but it was just there for... It was just there for Bobby Heenan to talk through about what Fuji and Yokozuna intend to do on July 4th. But you know what? Lawler got a lot, a lot of heat. Like, it felt like he was one of the one of the baddest baddies in all of the WWF to watch oh, it back. He's one of the all-time great heels, and he's, he's always known how to get heat. He's one of the absolute best. It just really felt he like said, he was uh, he was in good form here. He was milking that crowd for every little bit he could, and it's a shame it was kind of overlooked by, uh, I mean, by more important matters, understandably. But it was a nice little bit of just old-school heel work, something that, something that I appreciated. 
And uh, just before we go off air, we find out we've got uh, the, the match of the night is going to get another run out next week. Yes, Vince, well, after the Kelly Bundy Iker Pro model shows up in the crowd again, I had to note that. And fans are eating ice cream bars, you bastards. <laughs> Vince plugs Vince plugs Marty versus Doink next week in a two out of three falls match. And you're not going to want to miss that match, believe me. And not only that, we get the $10,000 match, Razor Ramon versus the 1-2-3 kid. You're not going to want to miss that one either. It's already we shaping a, up to be a, a brilliant episode of Raw. We have a damn good show to watch next week. It'd be a great way to segue into the Christmas holiday. I cannot wait. Oh, that's very, very exciting. And Vincent Savage gave this exaggerated, oh yeah, at the very end. And that's it. So it wasn't the, wasn't the, the, old, the most standout episode of Raw that we've had, but we had a lot of stuff, a lot of building was going on during this show. A lot of construction work behind the scenes. Yeah, as noted, I've reiter- reiterated, it was, just, it was just a throwaway show with one good match. And then anything else that wasn't appetizing, they enhanced the future of the company, whether it was Razor versus Kid, whether it was the fallout of Hogan Yoko, or whether it was uh, setting up the Body Slam Challenge that is forthcoming. Some nice things happening in the next few weeks on Monday Night Raw, and we will be here to talk about all of them, whether you like it or not. That is what we will be doing. Well, it depends. Where are you going this weekend? Any, special? <laughs> or, you... I am all holidayed out now until at least probably February. So... <laughs> not going to the Eiffel Tower or anything? You're not no, gonna... no, no plans. No plans to, to, to go again to Europe, I promise. And uh, Or am I? You're in Europe. I'm You're already in Europe. In Europe. It's fa- well, for, well that's, that's, that's a very <laughs> political debate that we won't get into. <laughs> Fair enough. It's all very silly, but that's not for us to talk about. Um, do tweet uh, JRH writing. Uh, ha- let him know how your day is going, what you've been up to, if you bought anything nice Shut from up. the shops, um, what you want for Christmas. Just just tweet it away. At Must JRH you scream me over again? <laughs> I'm at Tom Campbell. You can tweet me whenever you like as well. Uh, we are at Cultaholic Collectively. Thank you for listening. Join us with 12 exclamation marks. Next week's Raw is going to be a good one. It's nearly Christmas. Love you. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.